Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And uh, sure happy that you've joined us for another week. So glad that you are here letting us into your ears and um, for a couple of you, your eyes. Um, That's right. We do have a video version of the podcast. I always say it at the end, but maybe you don't get all the way to the end. Um, (laughs) It would explain a lot. Yeah, so we do have a video version. Uh, if you go to uh, YouTube and uh, go to the movie show with Joel and Rampage on YouTube, you can watch us talk about this stuff. And sometimes I do fun things with the video. Um, today, today Ryan and I have uh, decided to to try something daunting. To try something, uh, we we are going to. Um, push ourselves we are going to uh there may be blood there may be there i'm sure there'll be sweat um there may be tears Um, and we are we are gonna so so we get a lot of uh we do get you know we don't we always talk about how we you know want people to write us and and ask us questions and stuff like that we do get and have gotten over the last years we've gotten uh, people giving us um, awesome ideas for shows. Some of which we've even have come to fruition, which is nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's been great. But a couple uh, of the best ideas are... for various reasons have not. And we've always sort mm-hmm. of kept them in our back pocket. And today we're just going to really, try and yeah. sort of do them. We're, we're, we'll kind of talk about the topic itself, but then just kind of try and do it sort of, which is, yeah. which we think, Hey, half an executed, not half-assed, you know, we're going to give it our best effort, but a, a half-executed yeah, yeah. awesome idea is better than just leaving it behind to flounder. Um, mm-hmm. We have a show about this, the shows that never were, you can go back and listen to it, it's pretty funny, Joel, Joel, Joel brought out all the the brought really brought the funny in that episode in my opinion <laughs> literally um, i went through every <laughs> i went through every every uh, abandoned idea and, that we ever had and <laughs> an email and facebook message uh thread that ryan and i <laughs> have and uh and all of the bonkers ever you know uh best topol belly laugh is still uh top five the, best topol belly top five <laughs> best topol laugh is still one of my absolute the great late topol he could um, belly laugh with the best of them yeah, um so there's those in there which were always meant as jokes when we were frustrated that we couldn't think of anything to do and then <laughs> um 
And then, there, but there were also some really great ones that we talk about in that show. Then just the mm-hmm. whys and wherefores. But even in that show, we didn't really just give them a try. And so yeah, yeah. we know that this these topics are going to be lacking. The part of their part of the reason they've been left behind. A big part of it is because they encompass such a huge chunk of movie dumb. Right. You know what I mean? That they're just, it, it just like, how do you do it? How do you get top 10 out of that? How do you, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? How do you talk about such disparate styles of things in a coherent conversation? It's a challenge, but we're going to, yeah. we're going to, we're going to try. And, and we're going to try. Yeah. We're going to try and talk about a little bit uh, on each thing and take the pressure off of us. Hey, we're just t- sitting around talking about movies. No big deal. Mm-hmm. This just doesn't have to be definitive. It does, yep. It's not going to be. Matter of fact, let's make our peace with. We're not even going to trip accidentally into definitiveness here. We're just <laughs> literally not going to go near that or even try that. Yep. And that'll that might just be fun. And like I told Joel before we started, and if you know, and if we get really get rolling, and we're like, hey, there's something more here, then we'll we'll come back to these from time to time because they're they're yeah, the yeah. thing. The thing that a couple of these topics, a couple of these topics are not thus, but a couple of them you really can come back to again and again and again and again mm-hmm. and discuss things on this level. Yeah. And and it's like we've some of these we've gotten um well like the the one of them that well, a couple of these, uh the the scope is too broad. And so if we wanted to even remotely uh, be able to have a show where we could speak on some of these things we would have to create such small little niche ca- subcategories to these big categories um and maybe we'll do that sometime but um it, it, don't it could work in in spots so we'll see mm-hmm. so we have five categories here that we are going to talk about that have been on our to-do list but just seem damn man we have skipped them they're just they're just too darn hard. They're just uh, really, really difficult. And so we are calling this show Joel and Ryan take on the impossible. Okay. Topic number one, best literature adaptations. The or, best book or, to or, movie adaptation, or worst book to movie adaptations, too, is implied. I think. Yeah. In that. Yeah. It's yeah. not always and, implied, and, but I think you know what are the really really good ones. What yeah, are the and, really really bad ones. And, and you know why? there are a few that I think everyone you know that, that are on every list. And oh, that this is a side note. This is a departure from what we normally do. We will be referring to uh, many online lists. We're gonna you know help oh, yeah, yeah. as as a way for them to to sort of help guide our discussion what does everybody else think and and because there's a lot of these that uh everyone agrees on we've we've had had some online lists on here but not many we really don't try and just read you clickbait lists but i think this is a category that gets a lot of play in that context so it is sort of worth like like you just said what what is every what does everybody think and then where are we in relation to that of course you mm-hmm. said it though when we were talking about doing you know how we're going to talk about it main reason this category is hard isn't because there are 18 million you know play to film adaptations or book, novel to film adaptations or whatever short story to film adaptation there are way too many to do a show on reasonably let alone a little 
part of a show like we're doing. But the bigger deal is there's so many books out there that we just haven't read. Joel's a pretty yeah. big big reader, although it, it, later in life he reads a lot for the same reason why like, could choose this movie or that movie, which is is to because that it's like a blankie. It just you want to feel good and experience something fun that engages you in a positive way. And a lot of the best literature, frankly, doesn't do that. It, it right. shakes you up and challenges you and, you know, twists your nerves and your emotions, you know, and those are actually pretty easily avoided. So, and I just flat out, my eyesight has gotten weird and I just, I read a lot actually as a person, but I don't read a lot of literature anymore uh because it's hard it sort of gives me headaches and stuff i don't know why sitting there reading the news on my phone doesn't and why sitting with a nice book does it doesn't make mm -hmm. a lot of sense but it for some reason maybe it's the length of time you spend i don't know anyway so i i hardly read anything and i used to be a decent enough reader too although it's kind of same thing like i had the th like the way we are with movies and tv shows especially tv shows um you know, I have my little niche things that I turn to, and and yeah. I didn't read Tolstoy, and you know, some D yeah. Dickens I would read that, but I mean, it's like this, you know, there's just some classic stuff where it's just like, no, oh, thank you, I'm sorry, it's yeah, there there are, you know, I some of my favorite book recommendations from when I was younger absolutely uh, came from Ryan. Yeah, so um, I used to be, and, I used to be pretty and, good at it, but. Yeah. Yeah. And that was great. And then, um, yeah. And then when I lived in New York, uh, I would read on the subway, um, every day and love, I mean, I blew through so many books. I, man, that was, and I would read all, uh, I, I very rarely read nonfiction unless it's something that really, really interests me. I prefer narrative, you know, uh, narrative fiction. And, sure. um, and, and so, I would blow through a ton of books that way. And then, um, you know, once, um, you know, once we moved back here and kind of got back into car culture here in the Twin Cities and, and everything, I started reading less and, and reading just more became a way for me to end my day. But I still, you know, I still get through, I don't know, 20 books a year, 25 books a year, maybe um so but i uh, it and and it really is it is for i read for escapism i read for joy i read for um, and not exclusively right but that is yeah. what you really sort of focus on yeah, yeah. i understand that that's um i when i i it, i read about as fast as i can talk so when i sit down with a book i really want it to Tr mm -hmm. transport me somehow you know and i was all that was always my take to uh you know maybe not positive yep. stuff but something that was worth it because it really was a labor to do it even back when i read a lot so um if i get so going what? too fast i can kind of read it and i kind of can tell you what it was about but i i lose the flavor sure. of the thing it was is my problem so every book is like a 649 page play to me 
that I have to perform for myself, and it's it, that's <laughs> a lot. That's a lot of. I mean, that's been that's great when and you've got. I the, play all the roles. Right. <laughs> well, that's what's um, great about reading, right? It it it. I mean, we this is a movie and TV show, but it's worth saying. Reading engages your mind and your imagination and your empathy in so much more of a direct way, and it involves you the audience member or the reader in the thing in a way that film really just says, Hey, sit back, shut up. <laughs> and here it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, and you can try and interact with a film the way you do with a, the, with words on a page or a book that, that where you're doing half the work, but it isn't the same. And the films that are tend not to be super popular with the masses because they don't, that's not what they show up for those four mm -hmm. and it's certainly mm -hmm. not what we come to television for. So that's even another step down the path of, of this is just, this is, uh, this is a pastime, you know, yeah, as much or more than it is an art, not to say there's not art involved or we would never talk about it, but, but that's how I sort of view it. Books, man, yeah. books engage you in all the really great ways. That's why even re that's why all the librarians are like reading is so this and that and reading is this mm -hmm. and read to your kids and what's the other thing I mean just just like they don't care like your parents don't care if you're reading um uh whatever what, what pet cemetery because you're reading oh sure yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well yeah that's when I because you're reading. You say that. It's yeah, a, boy, that's a weird... Uh, yeah. I always thought that's a weird phenomenon out there in the world. And, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe some parents do. But reading, like, it, it opens up so many different things because there's no restrictions and there's no... They can't, when they're, you know, in the other room playing cards or doing something that, like, parents do. I'm not really sure, even after all these years, what mine were doing in the other room. But... <laughs> But they, you know, they can't hear the, the people screaming or whatever. That's all happening in right. your head. So it's just totally cool. <laughs> yeah. If that makes any um, sense. Um, yeah, I, I makes me go. It uh, makes me think of that Friends episode where uh, Rachel has Joey read Little Women and uh, Joey has Rachel read The Shining. Um, and like Rachel gets so scared of the book, she keeps it in the freezer. Hmm. And, uh, and yeah, and Joey is, you know, yeah, as you like, would expect, yeah. it was pretty easy to protect. It's absolutely swept away and has his life mm -hmm. changed by Little Women. Mm -hmm. The life, it's a life changing book. It's a good yep. place to start. Little Women. Yeah. How many times has that thing been adapted? Adapted many, many, many times. Right, right. It makes a good movie because it's essentially a chamber drama where the the even in the book the the obviously the first person narrative is tough so you've got a first person i mean i i don't want to talk down to anybody but obviously that's when somebody's saying oh i did this and we it was the best christmas ever because this blah this happened or whatever mm -hmm. um it's being it's a person in their voice that's a character in the thing telling you something and they're not as a result they're not much privy to what's not happening that doesn't happen directly to them so in little women it's ostensibly the author joe march is telling the story 
and she's one of the coolest sort of first person narratives, you know, ever. And that's part of what makes it sing is her language. But the other big thing about Little Women that's so great is the interaction of all these different people, the what they say to each other, how they talk to each other. Uh, and by the time you're done, philosophically, how different they are from each other and right. why they are connected. And anyway, uh, for Little Women adaptations, there have been some really great ones. There's a really great one with uh, Catherine Hepburn, obviously, and not just Catherine Hepburn, but like, can't remember who's all in that one, but it's it. I remember Kate mostly, but it's 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 stunning. It's like a three or four super mega stars deep in the cast, and it's older, black and white, it's stagey in a way that I think you know. But I I think the magic of that version really really sweeps you away. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's they've attempted. Uh, yeah, Catherine Hepburn, Joan Bennett um paul i'm just waiting for it to load here you take your time computer i don't want to rush yeah we're just Um, it's not important it's just yeah it's a george yeah um um okay here we go uh let's see Uh, let me go through all the ads here awesome (laughs) awesome Anyway, Little Women. Little Women. Oh, yeah, okay. This is the downside of this uh, of, of a show like this where we're like, oh, I'm going to try to quick pull this up. No. No, there's no quick pulling of, of anything here. You have to be uh, anticipatory. Although we didn't even know we'd be talking about Little Women. That's the nature of this show. But it was a yeah, good, see, it was a good example Hepburn, from the Friends yeah. episode of adaptations where the good, the bad, and the ugly are all, all like super a part of it. There's only one uh-huh. adaptation of Jaws, thank God. There's only one adaptation to The Godfather. We've talked about Jaws in depth on the show. Mm-hmm. We, we'll talk about The Godfather someday, maybe even this fall. We'll see. Yeah. And of course, um, you know, the, the incredible adaptation of uh, Tentacoli. And um... let's not forget that. I don't think that was an adaptation, actually. It was more of a Uh, rip off, -off. wasn't it? Uh, yep, there's that episode. Go back and listen to that one. So, anyway, um, that, but yeah, so I mean, so some of these, you know, uh, yeah, and I think you could uh, many obviously, many people agree that like the Lord of the Rings, the 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 Peter Jackson films, pretty great adaptation. Uh, now we're also we're not going to talk that's about that's a whole some of the TV. obviously, we're not doing a Lord of the Rings show, but that's a whole different discussion where that's a radical adaptation mm-hmm. from page to cinema. It really is. I know it probably doesn't seem like it is because it's the books are so dense with world building and backstory and stuff that it's like how you can't divert much from mm-hmm. them it hits all the plot high points but it really the movie really really does its own thing and was a huge success so it's considered a great adaptation but is it could it be really good movies based on these books that maybe aren't the greatest adaptation to the literary source so that's another category that it's worth you know looking into oh and just to go back to little women for a second but as good as that old uh, like kind of movie Rob would like sort of adaptation mm-hmm. is the for my money and it hasn't been better than they've tried many many times that 1994 um, Winona Ryder and Susan Sarandon mm-hmm. version of of Little Women man it it's it's very it's a little formal and it really really is loyal almost to a fault to the feel and the the book like it's not a very adventurous adaptation. 
but Thomas Newman's music and the set design and the way they create the winter in, in uh, New England during the Civil War and and those kids, man, just uh, it's uh, Kristen Dunst to Samantha Mathis is a tricky leap, but that's always a tricky part of adapting that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, Claire... Winona Ryder, Gabriel Byrne, Trini Alvarado, Samantha Mathis, Kirsten Dunst, Claire Danes, Christian Bale, Eric Stoltz, Mary Wicks and Susan Sarandon. I mean, that cast, that's uh, pretty. It's dynamite. And they're all. Uh, other than Winona, who was a big star, and I guess Susan Sarandon, they're all comers at that point. None of those people are have hit the big time exactly. Only mm -hmm. poor Trinia Alvarado is on her way down. <laughs> all the rest of them yeah. are about to be superstars, and you, you, it's not, and you, yet you don't, you feel that, and you don't feel that, but you do feel like you're watching something special. So, yep. I, I, so I just wanted to get that in there. That it's one of my favorite adaptations of all time. It's, it's a. I watch it annually. I yeah. just really think it it nails it, you know. And we talked about the more some of the more recent ones, and yeah, why why they're maybe not so good. But even there, because I just I do feel like that story is one where you can't just say, "I'm gonna say all this other stuff." <laughs> right. I think the film, um, if you just tell the story, says what it says, and I think that you if you bring an agenda to it is, is sort of a mistake, but whatever. But uh, Hey, having yeah. another reason to do this. I mean, that's an example of one where they do it all the time and they do it every 10 years or so, or maybe even less having your own reason to do it again is kind of important. I sort of get that. I think that's true of anything that gets adapted multiple times. Yeah. You know, there's two versions of the shining, but is there really where the world really doesn't see it that way? And um, just to bring up the other book from the Friends episode, uh, you know, it, it's yeah. interesting. It, it that's that is interesting to me. All blank or uh, all blank and no blank makes Jack a blank blank. <laughs> that's that's Joey trying not to spoil things. <laughs> um, good job. Do you and have that's a, a great that was totally yeah, out of context. Do you have um? Do you and have, and like, there's just a reminder, we have a whole two episodes with four podcasting superstars on, purely on Stephen King adaptations. Go check that out if yep. that's, if that's yep. your bag. He's only like pretty much the most popular American author of all time. Yeah. So, so you have a, whatever your feelings are, you certainly can't deny that about the man. Do you have uh, like uh, – you can choose to go either way with this. Do you have one – that you're you know like a book that you loved and and the movie version of it um lived up to it uh or do you have one where it was a book that you loved and it was just brutal and horrible and you hated it or just you know do, do you have a favorite of or least favorite um i don't know i mean i tend to look at it in a sort of more nuanced way but the one yeah, yeah. when this when this first came up in although i brought this up actually didn't i, I was like oh when we got to do adaptations if we're going to do the impossible stuff um yeah yeah this is the most impossible so so as silly as it is and i think we've even talked about it on the on the show before and I think America, this is one of these nice ways where America and I were in lockstep together. This was <laughs> this was one of these films back when we were sort of wrapping up college or whatever, 
um, that was coming out on the heels of uh, Jurassic Park, and it had a very Jurassic Park-like ad campaign. And that, in 93, obviously, was the biggest movie in the world. And I, and I really do think, not so much for our generation, but, uh, but a little bit, but definitely for the millennial generation who were kids when they saw that, um, that's a that's a seminal event movie, you know, and and then it, basically when they, that was adapted very famously, we talk about it on the on the on the show a lot. Uh, adapted from the Michael Crichton novel, which when you read it is again, it's like it's just amazing. It just it really does. You see a big event movie in your head when you read it, and um. And the, they started adapting their his other movies, and amongst those groups, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, Sphere, yeah. which as a movie mm -hmm. I tend to defend, but which as an adaptation does some really goofy things. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Dis Disclosure, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. uh, Eaters of the Dead, which they turned into Thirteenth um, Warrior, which Warrior. go look at the underrated, overrated films from the from the. Uh, late 90s the episodes that we did that's how's that for mm -hmm. specific you'll that's hear a, a passionate yep. defense of why the 13th warrior even though again it's tricky as an adaptation is really a very very good movie as good a one as you could hope to have an as good i think uh as good an examination on film of the grendel legend that i think we'll ever have but the one that yeah. was almost most disappointing sphere i really had a soft spot for but sphere's third act in the book is absolutely uncinematic it's a third act of the mind so that it was always gonna despite the fact that it reads like this awesome film and came out the summer before the summer of underwater adventure movies which is why it took 10 more years to become a, a movie since those none of those were huge hits mm -hmm. um it just it has this it has this kernel of an idea in it that's fantastic that it's just really really difficult get out there with just three people talking at each other when the action and stuff is supposed to be ramping up. It gets super philosophical and weird. That's what's great about the book because it's revelations and all these interesting ideas. But in the in a movie that feels, even though that's all in there, it feels like a letdown. And I think that's what people responded to. But, but there's another book, a cheap pulp entertainment book that he wrote before <laughs> Jurassic Park in the 80s called Congo. And Congo reads like, again, like the greatest adventure movie you've ever seen. Everything mm -hmm. about it is cool. There, It's it's basically, a, it's as old as the jungle adventure is in literature. It's it's a, no less than the, the literal hunt for King Solomon's mines and the diamonds and gold that lie within it. Of course, they're... It's a high tech company that's investigating some deaths that happened on a other on another expedition that they sent. Um, there's the tech in it is written in this fascinating way, and it still sounds futuristic today, even though it was written in like 1987 or something. Mm -hmm. um, just amazing, and it's got everything that a kid could want. Joel, it's got uh, it's got apes, it's got lasers. It's got, uh, it actually doesn't have a character name. That, that's just in the movie. Herkimer, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't. And, but, uh, so yeah. anyway, here's a lot of money 
here's basically Amblin Entertainment, Paramount Pictures making a jungle adventure. Frank Marshall's directing. Frank Marshall had previously directed Anarachnophobia and Alive, the, the about the poor soccer team that crashed in the Andes in yep. Chile. And those films are, uh, I don't know, Anarachnophobia may not be your style of thing, but that's a really, really good modern sorry, monster gotta, movie take and gotta, alive is you. you keep saying i gotta keep i gotta i'm sorry oh yeah to arachnophobia arachnophobia instead of anarachophobia which is a great morale couple of you guys know why <laughs> know why that little malapropism showed up in the yep. show we'll say no more yep. about that um okay. but arachnophobia forgive me spiders we're uh-huh. all on the same page you guys probably knew what i was talking about anyway right uh-huh. yeah I hope alive. So it, he's made <laughs> he made good movies, and 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 that progress from a silly monster movie to a really deep survival drama with all the bells and whistles, like was that's a step toward now. Here's something for everybody that's truly remarkable. Frank Marshall's mm-hmm. the super producer, who's not a terrible director, but as it turns out, now that we've got seven films or so in the bag is not a very good director either. But where Congo really goes wrong is that they hired a, a Tony um, a, a Pulitzer nominated playwright who had just won the Oscar for best adapted screenplay for Moonstruck, John Patrick Shanley, who's a fantastic writer. Right. And they hired him to adapt Congo into a movie. And he just read it and thought it was crap. You can just feel his contempt for the material on almost every scene in the movie. Um, or maybe I'm reading too much. I can't read John's mind, but maybe he just thought, I just got to make, I got to get rid of everything that's Crichton-esque about this and make it as silly fun as possible. And what you end up with is a movie that's, it is silly fun. I mean, if you, if you, like I have, if you take it to your breast and you, through the years, you watch it again and again, and you try and make your peace with what it is, at this point now I can watch Congo and be like, this is, this is fun. You know, take your, uh, stop eating my sesame cake. That's really funny. It's fun and funny and it's in the movie and mm-hmm. I really, really dig it. Uh, speaking of cameos, there's a couple of great cameos in Congo. Maybe we'll speak yeah. about cameos later. We'll see how long I talk about adaptations. Um, <laughs> maybe cameos will be next week, but I, I'm sorry to go on and on about Congo. It's stupid, but it just shows you, what the big one of the biggest problems of adaptations is um is that you revere something even something stupid like congo and in the end it is just a stupid adventure with apes with you know apes talking apes and 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 laser guided machine guns and stuff like it's is really really pulpy and a great hippo attack scene which they also boofed up in the movie yes they did damn um and the movie also is just this, it's basically shot on a jungle soundstage. There's some incredible location shooting in the jungle, but whenever it narrows down to the camp and the talking, you really don't feel like you're anywhere, but mm-hmm. but on the, on the stage, you can almost feel the cameras tracking and moving around behind you. It's it, it goes from really great wide shots of extras walking in the mountains to really, really unmatching studio work which is how they did those movies in the past so that's that in and of itself doesn't necessarily suck but but really what you have is something you revere a book you loved a book the way the because of the nature of books which we just talked about movies already here it's already here your perfect Mm -hmm. version of that is here 
And then stupid John Patrick Shanley comes around and he's just like, blah, blah, blah. You know, it makes yeah, it stupid, you know, and it you just feel utterly let down by the basic what feels like the lack of respect for something that goes up yeah. on screen. And as corny as Congo is, and how it totally doesn't make for a very good dance theme, Joel. It really obscure movies that no one's seen don't make great dance scenes. Mm -mm. So uh, it's still it's still a perfect example of this because it it's my it's my most easily to articulate version of i love this my version of this movie is truly great and everyone would love yeah. it for all time and yours isn't and it feels like you didn't and i could be wrong he might have been doing his best or he might have just been ill suited to the material but your version isn't very good you've got a a really celebrated writer just um not taking any of the concepts very seriously and you've got frankly a director who couldn't write his way out of a paper bag who's just accepting all of those changes and sh shooting it as is without a lot of pushback to make the thing great and that's that's the perfect recipe joel for a failed adaptation yep. in my opinion um my my example of that and i will not go into it in 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 depth is uh um, Mrs. Peregrine's um, uh, Home for Peculiar Children. Mm. Um, that book <clears throat> is an absolute delight. It is uh, as a fantasy novel and as a great like kind of secret world building. Uh, yeah, it's just it's really a lot of fun. And the movie just just missed the mark. Um, yeah just was not good uh do you like i i have a couple favorites i have a couple movies that i thought uh did a please were, because were really I, good. I most of my um, favorite books are have yet to be turned into movies so, yeah you know. um well i really you know the martian andy weir's the martian mm -hmm. um and then being turned into the, and particularly uh, the longer version of the martian which it just has more of the book in it it was really yeah, yeah. a delight to pop that um, in and to be like, this is great. This is just more. Of the yeah. Movie. Yeah. It's really, really good. And um, of course the other one that I had uh, all ready to go did is, has now left my brain. Um, ah, crap. And it was, a, it's another modern one here. I, I'm going to be, uh, I will say I get to now we, we, we did say we were going to talk about uh, adaptations into movies, but because, you know, when you adapt something into a series, you know, especially if it's like an HBO or, or, or you know, a, a place like that where they're going to like a Game of Thrones where you can take you, the where time you have a to get fighting chance stuff. to make it. Uh, <clears throat> if it's a pretty beefy book, you have a fighting chance to really get the essence of it there, whereas mm -hmm. it. it you know, we what do we talk about? All of the versions of The Great Gatsby are terrible for very different yeah. reasons. But that's a book that feels like a again feels like a movie when you're reading it, and it just goes wrong all the time. And part mm -hmm. of part of that is it's tough to get all of that in a little contained two hour and change thing, right? Or even two and a half hour thing. It's hard. Yep. And um, we've talked um, about and, Dune and, about that too many, many yeah. times. And we'll continue to talk about Dune until you come over here and just chase me away with a broom. Cause I'll <laughs> always talk about Dune. Um, but it's, it's that the fun of Dune is it's impossibility to adapt and how, so how do you do it? And we, yet, why are these filmmakers inspired to do it? That's fun. But what mm -hmm. you were about to say, sorry, Joel. 
Oh no, no. I uh the so uh Andy Where's the Martian? I also my the other book that I uh and to, to movie adaptation that I really enjoyed. Um <clears throat> it's very particular and, and it's it has lots of departures from the book, but it's Nick Hornby's High Fidelity. Um and the and and it's and John Cusack uh essentially adapting it for an American audience. Um, but in terms of, you know, while a lot of the, a lot of the details and some of the thing it, were tweaked and, it, uh, it maintains the same, um, energy, the, the same, uh, the same, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's the, the, the same sort of journey that the, that the, um, that the, uh, main character goes on, um, and, and that kind of, yeah, the, Self. the growth and the lesson and the underlying yeah. philosophy survives that adaptation. Yeah, it absolutely. Yeah, they, thank you. That that's that's because uh, and then uh, because the tone of it takes it, and this is makes the adaptation probably even it in a weird way. Even though it's a criticism I have of the movie, the tone of it from English to American is a, a hit. It's a thing that the film is just battles against and frankly loses the battle of it and by the time it's over so the fact that all that other great stuff that keep it buoyant and keep us enjoying it and mm -hmm. and keep us on its side which is important it's still there is 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 important and that comes mm -hmm. from the opposite of what i was talking about it's why i think john must have not liked congo because I, obviously john cusack loved high fidelity and that love yeah. For better or worse, but mostly for better is in there. At least it starts at a point of I really want this to be great, and you can feel that when you're watching it. Yeah, um, so that's a good one. All right, uh, yeah, and um, all right. So the other the other with... place that the, the 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 limited series really really helps is adapting, um, you know, the classics essentially, which is a tough thing to do. They're great ver movie version of Great Great Expectations, but that's a small mm -hmm. book. You know, you could never do Bleak House or it's very difficult to do something like David Copperfield or whatever, you know, just to use all my all my Dickens as an example. Um, those are difficult adaptations because they spawn, they're multi-generational and they spawn throughout these big spans of time. But uh, limited series just does wonders with those. We've talked about that when we talked about Jane Austen stuff, how the four hour and change Jane Austen limited series is, um, while they're not necessarily always better than their two hour Hollywood counterparts, they, they, you have room for all of it there and you really do feel like the author's voice survives so much better on that level. It, there's an adaptation that came and went Andrew Davies, uh, probably the world's best adapter of classic literature to the screen from a writing standpoint, did a version of, um, of, uh, well, I used it as an example of books you can't do, but of, of Leo Tolstoy's war and peace with Paul Dano and, um, Right. Uh, it's it's it's, a, it's not it's still hard adaptation, but it go it's it's a limited series, a mini series that goes on and on for a bit, and it really does get the changes and the evolution of character that a shorter version that even even the Russian version, which is really long, or or the Hepburn version, which is a really noble attempt at trying to tell that story in yeah. a in a in a very 
censored way for its era, but nevertheless really trying to tell that story and do honor by it. Um, it's funny that a limited series from just a few years ago that no one gives a second thought to anymore really nailed one of the most critical and amazing pieces of literature out there. And that's cool. So we're living in a time where we're kind of coming out of that time now. Now we're living in a time where that is probably on Roku with commercials forced into it. (laughs) Now we're living on the time of the great content purge. But for a few years there, we were living in the content, content, content era, and they would just make just about anything that they had a team set up to make to compete their way into our our homes over our streaming services. And that really did. It produced a bunch of total schlock and disposable crap. But it's always been thus. It also produced some really like, well, they would never were going to ever let us do this. And here it is. It's neat. So I just can't, mm-hmm. you got to, you know, you got to have a, a fully stocked cabinet full of cocoa to get through that, even as a, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even as an adaptation, yeah, yeah. like I cannot recommend that enough. It's, it's um, uh, Gano who's great. We call, I call, we call him the bat for the fences actor because he's so bonkers in so many things. So to get to see him playing a person living through a really important time with lots of dimension and stuff, it's it's not that it's revelation. We've seen him do that here and there before, but it really is special. It's not an easy these he's sort of the it's kind of a three part three headed dragon war and peace, but yeah. he's great and Lily James. Lily James who's 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 a you know a princess of a person and is always cast as a dream girl or a, often as a princess literal or figurative and she basically is that and this as well she's this perfect you know tolstoy's idea of this perfect virtuous virginal beautiful person but goes through this really weird sh- sh- sections of chapters in the book where she she's being seduced by an obvious unscrupulous villain <laughs> and in the book the character goes mad with lust essentially it needs to be locked in a room to protect her from her own terrible decisions that she's about to make. <laughs> and that's a weird that's a weird concept um and made weirder by the fact that none of the actors of them there've been so many good ones who played this character throughout the ages none of them were brave enough to go crazy here it could yeah. tell her and her her madness with with lust and her like the her, the way the when the polite society breaks down the way it completely like corrupts her way of thinking and makes her lose her mind is believable and it's and it's just viscerally powerful on screen so I can't I it's I, I can't recommend that enough and that there's there's been a lot of those I mean just like you say Game of Thrones yeah we're about to go on go one of my favorite my absolute favorite science fiction series books is a is about to uh we're about to get the premiere of of the uh, uh on apple plus um and it's uh, it's called silo um but it's based on the series of uh of, of books by hugh howie uh starting with wool uh and then silo and then dust um and they and they're they i 
the first chapter um, of Wool is one of the single greatest uh, chapters of any book that I have ever written, nice. certainly since the first section of Hyperion. Um, it, it, the uh, priest just, tale, right? So the priest thinking. tale in Hyperion. Yeah, well, that's uh, the, the first. Yeah, the first the first chapter of Wool. That's the only thing I could compare it to because I I literally after that chapter was done, I went I said out loud, "Holy shit! <laughs> what did what did I just read?" So I'm super excited to see how this uh, this translates. There are um, other big sci-fi adaptation. Idea. I can't remember what it is exactly, but with with Jared Harris and everything, it's very it's it, the. The I don't, I don't know. It's not wasn't some big mega hit. It is kind of on Apple TV and stuff, but it was very lavish, and mm-hmm. um, and the nerds love it. And when they really, really love something, that's that tends to be a, a sign of a good adaptation. Yeah, is that is that foundation? Yeah, foundation. Thank yeah. you. The name yep. wasn't coming so. to me, but foundation is all time sci fi. So. So uh, his dark materials just wrapped. That was really, really good and worth your time. There, there, been, mm-hmm. there been a lot of really good television. Really, really helps. And we're on a level now of effects and stuff that you can do some of this unimaginable things that a TV show in the '90s just couldn't even attempt to do. You know, right? Um, it, 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 the imagination like can't outthink the the effects. The effects can still stink, but. You know, mm-hmm. they can do just about anything. It's fun. So it's a fun time for adaptations on that level. And that, to me, when you really love a good book, if there's a miniseries of it, even if it's a miniseries from the 70s or something, it it's, yeah. I really think that's, you know, do, do a little reading, do a little research of your own. But I think those are much safer bets for being the book rather than the, some of these film adaptations, which don't manage it. That's to say there's some really, really great ones. The best, I think, if to, if I have to pick just one, the best book to film adaptation ever is um, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's. I would agree with that. Just about perfect, and it's not a straight up adaptation, but I mm-hmm. I think it gets the inherent challenge. It's something that the Aaron Sorkin play that's very very popular now it just gets rid of, which is too bad. Maybe it doesn't get rid of it. Maybe I'm not being fair, but it yeah. really it really leans into Atticus Finch as period leading man. And, and, and of course what's so great about the book is it's from the, his daughter's point of view and the movie has it both ways. It, it gets, it, it knows it can't quite just be that. So it gets that juggling act just right. And that's, that that uh, that's what's so incredibly lovely about it. So, mm-hmm. but you guys don't need us to tell you that the Godfather's awesome or that the, to get right. mockingbirds great or or that the scarlet Any, uh, letter is terrible you know the, mm-hmm. these things are obvious usually so i mean i guess i guess we'll throw it out there though is there any obscure movies that no one's seen don't make great dance scenes mm-hmm. okay but are there obscure movies out there that that are based on books that we that that more people should know about like is is there one that yeah I mean I'm sure that and, and I'm sure there I'm is sure there are but, but I haven't given it any you, thought so it's hard yeah, to that's say. what I mean listener dear listener write oh, yeah. us let us know uh send send us and you know we'll talk about them yeah, absolutely we will all right let's move on to 
Um, another daunting one, and this is uh, daunting because there's a visual element, and of course we are an audio podcast, um, but we are going to talk about best studio logos. We're going to get all nerdy in here and do best and talk well, about the logos of the studios. And when we, and when we I love on the logos. screen, we go, yay! I love logos. In one of the, one of the real casualties of the of big corporations big multinational corporations taking over the movie studios is like just to take warner brothers as an example is that they they want that you know they still want to throw up the logo but they want that an aol time warner or whatever now i don't know what they mm-hmm. time you know i don't know what it says now <laughs> but it's something similar mm-hmm uh, you know it, it. It so it it takes these movies from the old era, and when they release them to video or they release them to stream, streaming, they put this sort of generic modern logo at the beginning of it. And at least with Warner in Warner Brothers' case, the logo is it does have the feel of a classic logo that you can sort of live with. It does that doesn't seem um, what's the word when when something anachronistic to the movie you're about to watch. Do you see that, Joel? I couldn't remember a word, and then I remembered it right away. Ah, that feels so good. That doesn't no, happen as often as we would like good. anymore. Yeah, how many, guys, how many no times do you guys sit like. there in your car, fast-forwarding, going, when's he going <laughs> to... When are they going to say the, the damn word? Anachronistic. Uh. It's a great word. It sums it all up. It sums up a whole conversation in one word. That doesn't get better than that. Um... So it's so it's not a crime against art or humanity, but it's just the loss of logos. I remember all my one of my big accomplishments as a videotape collector was to finally get all the MGM really united artists, but MGM owned the rights to it at the time. This is why studio logos and things are complicated. Uh, uh, James Bond movies, and if you had them all, they made this like. Uh, not a picture, but a collage of different James Bonds doing different things. And they look great on the shelf for a while. And now they're gone forever because they're VHS tapes. And who, why did you ever have a bunch of those? So stupid. Um, yeah. But uh, I had those. And one of the greatest things about them is if you watch them in order, you saw literally every United Artists opening film logo in the history of the studio. And they're some of the coolest ones ever. When asked to pick, it's hard for me to pick an absolute favorite movie studio logo, but when asked to pick one, I often pick the the white line that spins into UA with the mm-hmm. twinkling piano. Ting, yep. ting, ting. It's so simple and elegant and it and it and it and just gorgeous. It's everything a logo should be. The two letters, no other writing. That piano sound sounds mysterious and magical. What kind of movie am I going to see? I don't even know yet based on that logo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just and United Artists had a whole bunch of great ones throughout the years. But in the late 60s, I want to say mid 60s, that that one is the best one that they ever have. Also, and of course, I sort of, my enthusiasm, sorry, I apologize, Joel. My enthusiasm no, no, go, for go, logos... Go. 
carried me into the topic without talking about why we don't talk about the topic, which is, <laughs> which is if you're not watching me, you can't even see what I'm doing with the logo, let alone when we are not showing you even in the YouTube program, for those of you who don't watch it, which is all of you, um, you're not seeing these. <laughs> this is like a purely, purely visual, there's a little audio to it, but there's almost a purely visual thing. Yep. And to talk about a, a thing that's purely visual, lacking plot, lacking character, lacking all these other things on a podcast where you're listening, you might get my enthusiasm for some of these, but until you search them out and actually take a look at what we're talking about, and anyone interested in graphic design or whatever should do that, one of the greatest places to find really great filmmaking um some of the best filmmaking is in television commercials because most television commercials are garbage, but every once in a while there's a genius one in there by a pretty decent filmmaker because they're limited by this 30-second... You know, you've got to get a yeah, message yeah. across in this limited amount of time, and that's a real challenge. And uh, to, to a much lesser degree, because the demands on you are much less, from an artistic standpoint, are music videos, which we see a lot of really great directors doing work there. With with graphic artists, especially graphic artists from a pre-computer time, it's movie logos. It really, really is. Logos really of any kind, corporate logos, cereal boxes. I mean, you go back and look at this stuff. But movie logos are really, really well done. One of the ones I love the most, getting back to Warner Brothers, when, and one of the ones that was purged in the great, DVD era of films, which is and it's making a bit of a comeback because a few filmmakers have sort of championed it. Is the great uh, black within red within black Saul Bass zoomy W stylized W logo from Super from um, Warner Brothers. Oh, Warner Brothers, yep. It's an anim it's animated. But it's this weird, like, it's hard to explain how cool it is. It's It starts out as one thing, and then you sort of zoom into it, and then it's the same thing, but it's a different thing, because the color schemes have been swapped. And then it, you settle on something that's very basic. And again, this the one thing that's great about it is it's, it's just red, black, and white. It's very, very simple. That logo, what did Nicholas Meyer, our most quotable film director, thank God for Nicholas Meyer, where would we be without him on the show? <laughs> But he very famously said uh, he refused to put that logo in front, which would have been era appropriate for his film Time After Time, uh, because he said it looked like something they would stamp on a piece of office furniture. <laughs> <laughs> so he's largely responsible for doing away with that very expensive designer thing that Warner yeah. came up with for most of the 70s and some of the early 80s. By bringing the shield back, Warner Brothers is the shield, and he has he has his. They had to create it especially for time after time, so it's a one time only Warner Brothers shield at the beginning of that movie. And I I appreciate why that suits his film better. But when I remember watching Superman in the theater, I remember that red logo. It's also what they did with that red logo because it takes a little time to develop. Was as movies went on, it, it through about eighty three, eighty four or so they started playing the movie's music underneath it, which is a neat thing to do with logos. So now when I watch even a minor movie like Deal of the Century or something that used to have that and that I watched over and over and over again with that animation, I hear the music start and I just sit there and look at a mid-90s Warner Brothers shield and it 
breaks my heart. So Warner Brothers, United Artists, uh, we're going to blame mm-hmm. MGM for United Artists, the loss of that, because that's really their fault, not not United Artists himself, who, who you know, Michael always yeah. argues with me about this. Will Orion still around? Well, they're not, though. It, it, the name is still around, but Orion Pictures, as it was, is, has not been a continuing entity. It died long ago. Um, same with United Artists. It's the name it still exists, especially since Amazon bought it. Now it's starting to pop up on everything. But it's right. not what United Artists was before. United Artists was a a studio that that would that had dis, yeah had the distribution power of a major studio, but didn't have the studio heads greenlighting this or that. It basically was this collective place for artists, for directors, for you know those sorts of people mm-hmm. to to get their sort of independently produced films released. And that just that idea is it's, it's the yeah. opposite of we have trillions of dollars to spend at Amazon, so and we're just going to stamp this time honored old name on something. I appreciate keeping the names alive, actually, but it's not the yeah. same. So I miss um, those. Whereas throughout the history, if you go back, any movie you watch by 20th Century Fox, you get the you get the logo Columbia. Yeah, yeah, and Columbia, even though that's Paramount, there, you yeah. get different variations of it. But that logo has stayed the same. It's only yep. been remade, you know. Even the big one where you swoop over it and you come around the corner and there it is. Yeah. The, even that is you still land on what has essentially always been the 20th Century Fox logo, which is a great one. Mm-hmm. And even now, when the Fox part is gone, it, it, and Disney's doing it, it's, they still sort of maintain the the shingle the way it was. Yep. Um, there have been minor studios, Joel. Joel knows because I, Joel, the last I, I movie. I want to say, yeah. I want to say, Par- another one, classic one is Paramount. I, I've always, yeah. I've always liked Paramount Pictures with, uh, with the mountain. Although um, Paramount really Scott. did animate their way out of a really classic look here in the modern era. Sure, sure, but, yeah. They're well, they're playing. Yeah, they're just oh, it's all playing with it and all. You know, they're they're they they've created the they've created this. A, a standard by or a, created a logo which now they can sort of break the rules of the logo um so but it still lands on the same image yeah. so it's very much like the 20th century fox it's just there's for whatever reason is more garish and ugly i think it's all the colors that they try and get into it or whatever right. and those poor paramount logos as cool as they are they look um that once you get into the eighties or so, they look, uh, or late eighties, I should say, they look, they're so like of their time, you know, that nineties era, it really does feel like you walked into a, like a graphic design company in the nineties with all the little (laughs) two tone grays and the, you know what I mean? Like all that weird stuff. It's, it's like, God, you guys are, you just, yeah, they don't seem to get that. It is classic. They just keep trying to make it better. A great one that has evolved, that is almost, no pun intended, universally great throughout the ages, even though they've changed dramatically, is the Universal logo. That one is, that's really how you take care of a great image. Yeah. Um, It's just really, really outstanding. All of theirs have been very much of their time, and yet they're all really, really great. Um, I think part of it is there's no fanfare for Universal. There is now. There's da 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 boom, boom, boom. 
Mm -hmm. uh, fanfares, if done wrong, really, really ruin it. Lionsgate movies, man, those logos are really tough to sit through. They're butt ugly. They're too busy. They go on too long, and the song sucks. So everything about them is terrible. And and yet, every time they've changed their logo, it's gotten better, and it's still terrible. So where they started was with the metal gate opening and stuff, and you come through, and it's like there's clouds in there. How's this supposed to work? It's just stupid busy and doesn't mean anything and and then when you finally settle on it, it it doesn't say something cool it says lion's gate weak weak sauce but hey you're the kid among old giants it's not totally fair sure. to, to compare you to but i still mm -hmm. um a few a few ones worth knowing i was, I was about to say joel knows this because the last movie we watched together was blade runner blade runner was distributed by the lad company and Blade Runner can, can, and the 4K Blade Runner of the of the green on black, which Lad Company logo is usually green on white. Um, the green on black appearance of that logo, which Joel talked over, which I'm still a little mad at him at. I mean, I've forgiven him, but I haven't gotten completely over it yet. That that healing, yeah. as you guys know, will take time. He didn't just talk over it. He sort of he he he. He disparaged that logo, let's just say. All right. And it had it has this great, which is one of my favorites of all time. Like partly because it means Blade Runner is about to start, or it means Chariots of Fire is about to start. Like the films or it means Police Academy 3 is about to start. Yeah. It takes all <laughs> kinds. The Lad Company did a bunch of different kind of stuff. But um I love it. And the music is this uh, I don't know what it is, like a trombone or something, maybe a French horn. It's something that you don't normally hear carry like a theme, especially one that's delicate and pretty. That music I found out much later in life is by John Williams, of all people. Doesn't sound like him at all. Like the way the DreamWorks logo is like, okay, that's that's like if a guy, like if an alien was brought from a thousand years in the future and said, create, you know, we're going to download all this in your head and I'll create the perfect two minutes of John Williams music. Like that's what would appear. This doesn't sound like him at all. And it's really, really well done and amazing. I love the lad company. I love in the late nineties. I love the Savoy pictures logo. You remember that one with the Buffalo? Uh, I'm sure I will. It's like an animated of these Buffalo running and this really great theme. And then this like Roman numeral. Oh yeah. 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 Multi panels yeah. take over and they become like a still image and a logo. And, uh, Savoy pictures literally released only one good movie out of 18 before they finally said, apparently we suck at movies guys. Let's all go home and do, <laughs> do something else. Um, that one good movie is Shadowlands, by the way, with Anthony Hopkins and Deborah Winger. And there's some other fun movies in there, but there's just no good ones. It really was a company yeah. who didn't know what they were doing. Joel was reviewing some of these. Remember Steel Big, Steel Little, and Last of the Dog Men? And yeah, I mean, they are all were like, like you could see why they thought they were good, but they were all like compared to the stuff that was actually captured the zeitgeist. They were all radically out of step with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so they failed, but I like that Savoy logo when I see it, you don't see it very often. Um, I love logos. I love cool yeah. graphic design. I love, I love things that are simple. You know, I think as a, as a writer and as a, a songwriter in particular, it just 
capturing the thing that's simple and fits is such a joy. But it's not an easy thing to do. A lot of the simple stuff, all the dot coms mm-hmm. are taken. You guys know how it is out there in the world. It's like it, you, to, you to strive for simplicity is really, really difficult. And and I feel like you got 10 seconds, kid. Make something that sums, you know, that gives us something that, that you know, tells us where this yeah. is coming from. And and mm-hmm. I love watching those. I I love all of them. I even love some of the bigger fancy ones. I think the Skydance one is pretty decent. Um, I think Bad Robot is fun and and Bad it goes Robot. from being complicated to, to mm-hmm. simple, but it's a simple idea, which is which is why it works. Um, yep. Stuff like that. The A twenty four logo. Now that's almost unfair because that's a throwback logo to yeah. B movies of the sixties and early seventies, but the A twenty four logo is fantastic. The Regency logo. Yeah, um, that one I don't like, like so much. Kind of that weird, one, yeah. if you want to hear somebody rip on Regency, listen to the commentary on Gone Girl, or is it Gone Girl? Yeah, Gone Girl with 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 Ben Affleck. Um, David Fincher's like just mercilessly hammers the Regency <laughs> logo about how crappy it is. <laughs> I think it's Regency. Um, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that it is, yeah. Uh, Orion, remember Orion? Uh, Orion, uh, Orion logos Orion, are fantastic. Yeah. And multi-purpose. Yeah. They're great. And the, like I say, mm-hmm. as part of the United Artist MGM sale to Amazon, they're, they're back. You get to see those Orion logos now again. At the beginnings yeah. of fairly crappy horror movies and such, but nevertheless uh it's nice to have those back again orion was a super minor studio whose ownership bounced around from company to company Mm -hmm. before before it won two consecutive best picture oscars and then went bankrupt in 1993 or whatever yeah i want to say like did i think orion maybe put out first blood and yeah distributed it distributed it and that's and that like when i that like that's what i always associate the Orion movie logo. It's like, here comes first blood. And then what, to me, for Orion, blood, it's, like, oh. it's Caddyshack. Cause that you've got that yeah. really cool acoustic or acapella, Kenny Loggins intro to Caddyshack. Yep. And he starts all the eight Kenny Loggins is all start. Woo, woo, yeah. woo, woo. Mm-hmm. And the, while the logo is spinning and it's like, you know, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to yep. get to, I was, as far as the Caddyshack fan goes, I was pretty much only into the gopher parts, but whatever. Right. Um, and Screen Gems. Screen Gems, I always kind of thought was kind of a, a, a cool with the the two the coming in front and then the boop. Yeah, it's not it's not bad. Problem with Screen Gems is it comes yeah. before all the underworld pictures and it comes before all the Resident <laughs> Evil pictures. So I associate it with pretty terrible stuff. <laughs> of course. Uh, um, and of but, course, Mar- Marvel, Marvel Studios, you know, it, I mean, that's good in terms of its honoring its, uh, you know, the comic book route. And Brian Tyler's theme for Marvel is great. And Marvel yeah. is Marvel is a thing where the brand is really selling the thing. For my money, mm-hmm. that logo is too long. But I think all of it, the... It, yes, all of the it com- also keeps getting longer. Yeah, it's like it's just you guys. Less is more, kind of. I don't mind the theme playing out, but mm-hmm. but that idea of the comics coming in, like, and them changing depending on the movie, or you know, uh, DC does some similar sort of rip off of that, which also works great. Um, mm-hmm. It's it. Those are really cool. I mean, I'm they're, they're 
literally graphic stories that come from a graphic artist place, the art, and, and they, they, even though I do think they're too ornate and too long in a Lionsgate sort of way, I think the mm -hmm. art, the fact that it honors and puts the art and the variety of the art and the storytelling forward, that really does sell you what a Marvel thing is or what a comic book experience is at the mm -hmm. movie. So I like them for that reason. All right, well, let's move on to just past the movie studio logo. <laughs> and let's talk about what you see next, which is, in most cases, the title sequences. Same yeah. drawback to discussing title sequences. There's too many right. cool ones to discuss. Same problem as books. Same problem as logos. And it also shares the logo problem in that they, you can't see what we're talking about. And mm -hmm. seeing and hearing the title sequences really is the key to experiencing them or understanding them. So I may talk about a few that you like. Some of the greatest ones are the movie has already started and the titles are just playing. You know, mm -hmm. uh, that's nothing wrong with that. That works. That works like a charm. We'll get 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 on with the movie. Of course, in the modern era, especially in an epic movie sense, let's just not not have. We don't, they know what they they know. They came to see Green Lantern Five. Let's just not even have the title at the beginning of the thing. Uh, let's right. just get on with the story, and we'll put all that crap at the end. And if they want to stay to the end, um to the to the hidden scene at the very end where Green Lantern goes to his favorite sushi restaurant, then you can do that if you're a total chump and an idiot. <laughs> um sure, sit there sit there for nine minutes and let everybody else go on with their lives. Even though even though artists have sort of an anti artistic statement yet to give you. Um, it seems to me that any of the preview of coming attractions uh, scenes after the credits come after the what we're calling the main credits, which is what used to be the opening credits, which are now at the back of the movie. So blah, blah, blah. What are some great ones? Opening credits. Um, Marissa Binder's um, James Bond credits. Like, uh, Well, sure. Yeah, they, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. They're not all good, but they have all the good and bad of a extended. Everybody gets credit at the top of the movie, very old school, and they still. I love that they still do this. They still show. They don't show the whole mountain of people, but they still show art direction and and makeup and just stuff that normally would not be in an opening credit sequence at all. Uh, and and I love that. I mean, I love Star Wars too, where it's just like, bah, Star Wars. There's no credits. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, that Star Wars wasn't the first movie to do that, but that was that at that time that was a revolutionary thing that caused all kinds of issues because nobody was yeah, doing yeah. that. Now that's the thing. There's no TV theme songs anymore, right? Because apparently people can't be bothered to sit through a minute and a half of like the Silver Spoons theme, which to right. me is why those are that's so awesome. Why would you not want to do that? I, I don't understand. I I have my ringtone is my uh, is my favorite modern uh, theme TV theme song. And um, and I'm vamping here so that I can just quick play it. I don't know. It's not going to work because I have my headphones on and it's only going to play in my headphones. Yeah. But it's the good place uh, where it's just like and it's it's literally like seven seconds long. 
That's um, better than nothing. But yeah, I because it, it, it's like a boom. It uses the green screen. Says the good place. Da, 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 da. Boom. And that's it. I I love it. I hate the loss, especially in sitcoms, especially in comedies. Yeah. But if anything, I mean, go back and watch seven seasons of Hill Street Blues. I guarantee you, the one thing that's great every episode is the mm-hmm. two minutes of Mike Post's theme music and those cars driving through the streets of Chicago in the rain. I mean, it it's bliss. Yep. Take a breath. <clears throat> Enjoy these what? things. Or they'll or corporations will get rid of them, which they have done. It's depressing. I mean, I guess not so much cable, prestige cable, Sopranos, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. I don't know how long the House of the Dragon credits go on. Forever. Like for yeah, seven minutes. Do. They really take too long. But at least in that setting for dramas or especially for for uh, speculative fiction adaptations that, that's made a comeback, which I appreciate. But yep. I just, I miss all that, man. I miss all that. Who, what you want to, I mean, would you want to watch like night court without the night court team? Like if they just took that away, they could, you wouldn't want to do no, that, that, right? That's, you wouldn't want to you know, not that... hear Denise Williams and Johnny Mathis at the beginning of family ties. Right. That would be, yep. that'd be criminal. Mm-hmm. And we we definitely want to hear like some both night. Yeah, yeah. Al Jerome. Yeah. So and what hey, hey, we'll we'll even get like get to, to some of like, you know, the nineties sitcoms had uh, you know, had some bops, as the kids say, for theme songs, you know, whether yeah. it's you know, full house or you know, um uh oh boy um ducktales i mean i mean there's there there are some serious uh they put some serious thought into some of the the theme songs of uh uh of, of sitcoms and and kids shows and stuff uh, those those are awesome and we don't have that anymore i mean look, i'll give it up for bluey bluey has a kick butt yeah, it's not that they've been scrubbed from the face of the earth, and we can't. They and mm-hmm. it's not like they've gone back and taken them out of our old favorite shows. So right. that's not happened. That's I don't know why I'm complaining. I'm I'm not exactly complaining about that, but I'm 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 equating them not creating them anymore to taking them away, which is not exactly what they've done. So right. So and, and now, that no, has and nothing to do with opening title sequences to movies, which is what we're <laughs> supposed to be talking about. Now, yeah. So for a movie. It's, it's, adjacent it's adjacent but it's not exactly the same thing so sorry about that little rant uh you heard a logo rant in this episode you've heard a uh tv theme song rant so you you're getting some of my best stuff there you go rant wise um but opening theater so i mentioned the bond movies because they're huge um i love that the the orchestra tuning up and playing the big theme for those old films where you basically are just looking at still panels with animated um, um, titles and credits. Mm-hmm. Th- those are great. So, I mean, that's where this all started. Um, I know there's some really, really great ones of those. Um, Ten Commandments is a really good one if you want to see something done in that style that had a budget to it. Um my, my obviously that's not my era of movie going as, as much as I like that stuff. Um, and as much as I like, like a good overture or whatever, um, like there's some really neat, we'll just start with animations. They're not my favorite kind, but when they're done right, like think the opening of the pink Panther mm-hmm. 
or what did we watch the other day at seven percent solution has a really fun animated like caricatures of the characters you're about to experience mm-hmm. and it even has little literature footnotes explaining who they are and stuff it's really fun and engaging yeah um i watched a movie recently uh that i really really love a nick hornby adaptation what spend the nick hornby it's not even a nick hornby adaptation a nick hornby original screenplay uh an education oh yeah yeah that has a fantastic, fun theme, like, uh, you know, early 60s jazz theme song mixed with these little animations about what it's like to be a, a and mixed with montage. It's like really a whole bunch of disciplines combined together for one magical sequence that really puts you in the world of the story um, where you see basically what it's like at that time to be a student in high school when you're a girl, because it's different than when you're a guy, when you're actually learn, learning about stuff. They're like learning how to walk in a straight line with a book on their head and all this just dumb crap to prepare them to be good wives and homemakers and perhaps, if necessary, governesses. So it just tells you all that without telling you anything. I mean, that's the ultimate show and not tell. My favorite giant bloated goes on forever title sequence of all time and it's the biggest most expensive it's more expensive than most of the movies from 1978 and it's only a title sequence is R. Greenberg and Associates who made some of the best ones of this era of Superman the movie which oh, has yeah, yeah, which yeah. has graphics which has like microscopic uh, effects you're flying through space John Williams' heroic score you pretty much never get sick of. It has one of those disaster movie, like, March of the Stars, where you just keep seeing recognizable names from other things until you're down to Mark McClure and Sarah Douglas or whatever. And and that's joyful. Like, it's, wow, oh, wow, that person's in it. Oh, oh wow, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's really, really cool. You know, I don't know how long Trevor Howard is in Superman. Screen time wise, it's not very long. He's probably got 11 lines or something, but he gets the big marquee, which he must have loved sitting there. And of course, I didn't know when I was a kid in 78, when I was six, had just turned six. Um, I didn't, I didn't know what any of this was, but the, but the, the, surround the four channel surround effects of those titles swooshing by you and you're flying through space and the music and just from an audio standpoint you're just captivated by it and i loved that sequence when i was a kid i loved it other great r greenberg stuff you know alien that where the where the hieroglyphics appear the the fact that he looked at the 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 fact that Ridley Scott, this is really visionary of him, looked at the poster art, which had almost nothing to do with the movie. It's really like a Rosemary's Baby, just suggestive of what the movie might be sort of art, and said, these guys need to be involved in the credit sequence. because, they, And then we'll tie it together, which no one ever seems to do. But more than that, they, without even really trying, they've captured what the thing is without having seen it even a single seen anything but like a still photograph of the egg and that's all they were given Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the script Mm -hmm. and they came up with this and this is what my movie is so he got really excited and that's how that found its way into alien all of the alien movies at least the first three alien movies will say oh i think have stunning credit sequences and credit ideas 
um, those the '80s graphics mixed with with you know animation and and stuff and early computer work, the Terminator uh, opening credits. You know, it, and and the thing, yeah. of course, that a long credit sequence needs is music. It needs a song. It doesn't necessarily need it, but most of the really really great ones have a song. I think. Yeah. Um. Sometimes the song is the thing. It's just the titles, you know, the opening, like the aforementioned Chariots of Fire. What a fantastic yeah. title sequence that is. Um, and I'll, it's just a scene, but it it's buoyed by that incredible music that you never hear in the movie, really. You hear it again at the end right. for the closing credits. <laughs> that's, that's cool. Uh, stuff like that, man. I just love that. I love that getting, settling into a movie. Yeah. You know, I don't mind that they've done away with them when on the Richard Donner and, and Tom Mankiewicz are talking during the commentary on the Superman thing. And they're like, and they're like, wow, can you believe this? Like, this is amazing. <laughs> like nobody does this kind of thing anymore. It's really is still yeah. very, very cool. But even them a minute and 40 seconds into it are like, Jesus, how long do these go on? You know? And then they're like, and then they're like, uh, and then they're like, uh, you know, that they, they move all this to the back of the movie now. And you, mm-hmm. Dick sort of under his breath says, that's probably for the best. <laughs> just get it. Just get into the yep. thing. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, but I'm, yeah, you know, Superman starts with a curtain opening. It starts with the old, uh, black and white TV era Daily Planet model, and then you swoop mm-hmm. into space, and then you get the credits, and then after the credits, you get a whole other suite of music, the Krypton theme, while we reveal the longest. You know, it just takes its time to get going. Yeah, but in doing that, it prepares you for something truly different and epic than it, certainly than any other Superman adaptation had been to that right. point, but also just. You know, it 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 doesn't do any much work of telling the story. It really does just take its time to immerse you in the style of the thing and the mood of the yeah. thing. And I I do love those. I do love just cutting to the chase too. You know, I love the opening yeah. of the abyss with the lo- again just the logo from the poster with the great theme song. Very much like, I mean, it's not the same, but very much like the good place. It's just. You got, yep. you got 12 seconds, guys. Go. That's really neat and can get you into something just as quick. So, But I I love title sequences and I like the lack thereof. I love when we get opening titles at the end of a movie. I, I may right. not sit for the titles to scroll every time or even most times because I really just don't do that. I know that's I should as a purist. As someone who respects the credits themselves and doesn't think they should be edited out or skipped on the menu or whatever or moved I, up to a tiny little box up here and yeah yeah or exactly so i don't like yeah. any of that but at the same time man i'm getting out of dodge once that opening closing credits is over <laughs> because i'm not um, reading those things and yeah. i think i always used to be sort of a purist about it until about the mid 90s remember how the matrix movies end like the the music was so awful that proto industrial dance rock from the crap 90s those 90s movies sent you yeah sent you running for freedom from the sound of the terrible terrible music that was put at the end Mm -hmm. and i think once those came along they cured me of 
having to sit there because there's no way I'm sitting through this crap. I don't know how long this is going to go. Along those lines, though, that use that kind of use. I mean, this was uh, nine inch nails, but I mean, in going through all these uh, in preparing for the show, going through a bunch of sequences, that beginning of seven yeah. using uh, nine inch nails and all the creepy imagery and the sort of the glitchy uh, graphics. Uh, I, I would you really want to see some that. opening credit sequences? Regency logos aside, David Fincher movies have some of yeah. the absolute best. I don't even like yeah. seven, but the. The credits are an absolute work of art. There's no question yeah. about that. Um, I and I and I love like uh, retro um, retro animated things like uh, Catch Me If You Can and Down With Love. Uh, you know those those great the animations. Like, that's kind of where I started graphic, with those because yeah. those are like mm -hmm. in a way those are taking really the easy are. way out. But those are a lot of work. There yeah. really are a ton of work relatively, and so you've got to kind of respect. They're the ones where you really have to respect them as their own thing. Catch me if you can. That's yeah, catch me if you can is really opening fun. credit sequence. So good. Um. Okay. Uh. We're moving right along. Uh. Woo. We're we're plugging. Yeah. So now we are gonna go. Now we met. We we teased it earlier. We'll come back to these yeah. topics. Like we said, we'll come back to these. We, yeah. We're these. Yeah. These were what we thought they'd be. They're fun to talk about. They're great Do ideas. You? Yeah. But Do they're you, not. Dear listener, have a great opening title sequence that you're like oh my god like uh, you got to talk about how great this or was. just was a, even one you, you don't know. think so great but that just that the one that sets you up for the movie yeah. whatever we'd love to hear from you guys well, as to what your favorites and are. it's like you know and then we you know i and i'm i'm always uh like and this is I, I i talk about this a lot in my job is you know setting up we we have to establish uh establish you know who we are and then we can then we can start playing with the form and sort of breaking from it and and marvel you know they had done you know they had done uh uh i think even had we gone through avengers at that point uh or maybe uh um you know so we had thor and captain america and uh, uh iron man and all these things and that you know they all had you know that that marvel movie tone and then you get guardians of the galaxy which is uh you know which is chris pratt dancing around an alien planet listening to come and get your love uh and um and that was such a departure and it's like oh yeah this is going to be a very different marvel film um and uh yeah so it's like yeah you get to you know you establish something then you can break and the, the, the follow-up with group dancing while that giant battle with that monster in guardians of the galaxy yeah. two is happening like in slow motion sort of behind them um yeah. that those those both those credit sequences are fantastic i would agree yeah yep um all right so let's uh now let's uh, go into uh other elements of movies that uh often uh appear in the blink of an eye and then they're gone um best cameos <laughs> Our buddy, Do you like cameos? Our buddy Trish has suggested this, I believe, more than yes, once. Yes, Trish. Yeah, Trish. Trish is like, what are you, you know about cameos? <laughs> and it's you it's a neat idea, message? but again, there's, it it encompasses this whole massive thing. It's just it's very daunting to look at it and go, oh, I love. And and the bigger issue with this one is I'm pretty much anti cameo. Or if I mm -hmm. like a cameo, what I really like is a small walk on part by a recognizable person, which is not for my money, what a cameo really is. Cameo didn't start here, but it became famous with the Hitchcock cameos. And all that is, yeah. is 
Hitchcock's reflected in the store window. That's that kind of cameo I can't have any issue with. Go for it. Go yeah. with God. Yeah, that doesn't hurt anything. Um but these cameos as gags, which is the era we're in now, you know, if you're gonna have somebody super famous show up in the middle of your movie for only 13 seconds, it what can it it, it can be more than this, but what it's absolutely positively 100 percent gonna be is a distraction from anything that's going on in the story. Maybe a pleasant yeah. one, who knows? But it but it absolutely is it has no value in immersion that I can think of. And even the best cameos I can think of don't have any sort of value in immersing you in the story and keeping your empathy engaged. They do the opposite. They, they, they demonstrate to you that this is, that this is fake, that this is not a thing you're watching, that this is an out outwardly thing. And that now everybody who's been working to get you into the world of the story is taking a step back and letting you see the cracks and the seams of the thing. And I, I've just, I've never ever liked that. I've, I, I mean, a comedic cameo in a comedy is fun. Mm -hmm. it, it really is. Or a little part by an actor you don't know, like going back to Superman, like the pimp. Say, dude, say, dude, that is a bad outfit. Woo! Like that's just yep. a guy with a little line with a little moment who gets to take stage for a second. That's not a cameo because nobody knows no. who that guy is unless you watched Cleopatra Jones over and over again, which in that era you probably did not. So right. so so little parts and little things where you know random dude or random lady show up and do something crazy is sort of fun. But cameos by famous people or by characters from other stories i yeah. just so hard to see the value of that and when i think of great like uncredited appearances in movies this isn't a great one necessarily but a fun one is robin williams character in kenneth Branagh's dead again yeah where he's a, you know a big movie star at the time in a small role in a little movie where he probably shot his stuff in two or three days consecutively wherever he was available in there. Um, what's fun about that is Robin, even though he's got some Robinisms in it, his talking about taking a dump certainly comes to mind. But the but mostly when it's time to buckle down and do this be this exposition guy, he does it in an entertaining Robin Williams way. But he, he right. honors the concepts of the film that he really does a lot of the heavy lifting and explaining to us and to our hero. So I like that sort of thing. That's one that I yeah. like, I guess. But that's not even a cameo. That's a guy who's in a small role in a film that's outsized with his celebrity at the time. I'm not even sure right. that counts. That was called a cameo, but compared to the Hitchcock right. stuff, I mean, it isn't even close. Um, uh, the most famous cameo I seem to remember from my youth was when Sean Connery appeared at the end of Robin Hood, Prince of Tides. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. And as... Yeah, as got as paid a million point two dollars for doing that yeah. little scene. Yeah, and then of course, then you get the parody version of uh, Robin Hood Met in Tights, where Patrick Stewart arrives <laughs> at the end of the movie, uh, doing essentially the same cameo, uh, it, it parodying the cam cameo. Um, that made me. That made me. Um, 
Connery played, al along with Audrey Hepburn as Marion, played Robin Hood and Robin and Marion. It's one of Richard Lester's yep. best movies. Might be his best movie. Um, and that story and that reimagining of an older Robin Hood coming back from the Crusades and getting back into his old habits is it was very much inspired Prince of Thieves' approach to the material. So his his showing up at the end of that is um, it is even more than you know and. It's the happy ending of the movie. Like there's that cameo really, it's silly, but it really, cause Connery was a huge star at that point. Again, he hadn't been mm -hmm. for a while, but he was again. Um, didn't really take anything from that film. That film's a little surfacey and superficial anyway. So. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones that, uh, that really did work for me. Um, uh, well here before I want to get your take on this, uh, in that, in the, uh, um, J.J. Abrams' reboot of Star Trek uh, with Leonard Nimoy appearing at the... Uh, oh, but that's, know, again, that's end. Leonard Nimoy playing the character he was in Star Trek as a continuation of his character from all those stories in a minor role, not a, not mm -hmm. a, not a cameo. So, no, I don't have a problem with that at all. I don't love that movie, and I don't, I don't love any of those Abrams Star Trek movies because I think they miss the point of Star Trek quite a bit. Sure. Which I think you can still do and be that kind of movie. And I think he didn't even try and engage with that stuff very well. Um, and like all Abrams projects, all but maybe one, all of his movies, like the second time you watch them, they're half as good. And every time after they lose a percentage where it's just like <laughs> these, this busy, t jabby, jokey shit that I was riveted by when I first sat through it. I'm sick of almost all of it now. Like it's really <laughs> weird how his his films you know not so much his mission impossible movie but certainly the star wars movies and definitely the star trek movies yeah. um they just are so greatly diminished when you revisit them um but i i don't to get back to the point it the, i don't consider that a cameo i mean that's a that's a role it's him okay. continuing the role into a into a further adventures of the star trek universe i know it's back in time or whatever and it's a reboot but but that idea is the is what's left at the end of Star Trek, even after you've seen it a dozen times. The idea that we can do our own Star Trek and still have everything that happened in Star Trek be honored and everything can be at peace with itself in the universe is a genius idea. The way he does it yeah. is really smart. And the way he frees himself from the shackles of previous Star Trek through a story convention that is interwoven importantly through the entire movie. Right. Mm -hmm. that's really good writing and good thinking things through. So I, I still love that part. And Spock is integral to that, I think. So okay. I, I yeah. dig it. I, but I don't, again, is that a cameo? Mm -hmm. Same yeah, way the Robin Williams thing is probably, but it isn't a cameo. I mean, sure. Um, he, his now, name's Muppet, in the opening credits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, well, that's true. It is in the opening credits. Uh, Muppet movies always have, the Muppet movies always have tons of little cameos and stuff. But one, hey. per, one part where it actually worked really, really well, um, in my opinion, was in the in that 2011, the Jason Segel sort of reboot of it, where uh, Walter, the character of Walter, is having to decide if he's a man or is he a Muppet. And in that little sort of music sequence, he's looking at a mirror and reflected back at him is um, is uh, uh, 
uh, oh my God, Jim Parsons. Yeah, is Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory, who absolutely, it's like at that moment you're like, oh my God, yeah, that is the human version of this character. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so that they're, they're, you know, and he's just lip syncing uh, the, uh, the Walter part back at him as the, as this character decides, is he a Muppet or is he a man? Um, I, I thought, you know, uh, in terms of Muppet cameos of which there are always many, many Muppet cameos, um, that one, uh, well, that the one, Muppet in terms movies of serving are, the story are, and, yeah, are, uh, are story with Muppets where there's always some sort of journey and they meet, all these celebrities along the way. Like that's literally the formula for doing a Muppet movie mm -hmm. more. There's some variations, but that that's certainly what the Muppet movie is. It's got all these stars in it who again, only worked for one day with some Muppets and then moved on. That's what the Muppet show is. If you zoom far enough out to see it in its whole existence. Sure. Um, so that, I mean, I have no problem with, I have really no problem with that. I really don't have any problem with that at all. I just thought of a really great one and I've forgotten because I kept talking about the Muppets. That was a mistake. Oh no. Um, let's see a couple others that oh, possibly uh, here. Tom, Tom waits in uh Fisher King. Oh yeah. That is dynamite. Yeah. Great cameo. Absolutely and I really do cameo. think that by modern standards is what we consider a cameo. He really is um, in one scene where he doesn't even really move. You know what I mean? And it, 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 that and, and they could have gotten any great character actor to do that. Tom Noonan could have done that great. Like anybody, yeah. you, you, oh, the world was your oyster. And what they got was Tom Waits playing this disabled veteran in Grand Central Station, given this yeah. little bleak outlook on life. And it's, it's just magic. And it, it, it yeah, pulls yeah. you in as opposed to pushing you away which is what you hope that sort of thing will do yeah music guy speaking of music guy cameos uh bruce springsteen in high fidelity it, it, it's um he it, it's just that's it, very hitchcockian though right he's not really in it he just appears well somewhere. it's it's well it's it's happening in in the character of robs in john cusack's mind Right. He's like, he's like, oh, I wish I could, you know, and it's like Bruce would Bruce would be able to tell me. And and then you cut to Bruce Springsteen just sitting on a stool in a blank room and, and just and they have this kind of quick dialogue back and forth. And it's and it just again, it, it it works in the story of of this is a guy who just he won't let go of this fantasy idea of what his own life should be. Um and, uh, you know, and of course, of course, in his fantasy life, he'd just be able to turn to Bruce Springsteen for advice. Um, so I, I thought I, I thought in terms of like music guy cameos, that one that one's pretty good. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm looking at uh, uh, other ones. Um, you know, you have the Bob Barker cameo and Happy Gilmore. That's entertaining. Yeah, but that's not uh, a cameo. Yeah, that's right. He's he's credited, I think. Not um, only that, his part is big and important. Just because he's famous for something else and in a movie, isn't making a cameo. It just isn't. Yeah. That isn't a cameo at all. It 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 just isn't. Mm -hmm. um, the Springsteen thing absolutely is. I think even yeah. the Tom Waits thing strains what I think of as a cameo. Um, even though it's only about as long as the Sean Connery thing, which absolutely is a celebrity cameo, you know. So it's hard. It's hard to define what it is. Yep. A small role by a famous person 
just I don't think that is enough to make it count. I mean, if, it, if that were not Barb Barker and it was just some other guy, it wouldn't be considered. It wouldn't even that's be. True. It wouldn't it's even flirt with the category of cameo. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's an important um, character in that movie. Like, not a uh, not a super Willis. important one over the scope of the movie, mm-hmm. but it's important. You know, uh, Bruce Willis and Julia Roberts at the end of the player. It's not bad, um, although the player is objectively yeah. terrible, but that's not a bad one. Sure, but it, yeah, and how you because know, you it, do it, see it, how st- you do see the thing they're talking about, how stupid it's going to become, become super stupid by the end of the movie. That's mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. well done, although that's a film again where you've got you already have 900 famous contemporaries of Bruce Willis and Julia Roberts in the film, so mm-hmm. that cameo, well. Well, I get why you like about it. It also blurs the lines in a way that I don't think is particularly useful for the point the thing's trying to make. Sure. I mean, um, if you really wanted to take down, you know, Hollywood celebrities and stuff, then what do you cast mountains of them in your movies of that era for? You're, you're. What are you saying? In the end, you're not saying much. Robert Altman. Sorry, not a big right. Altman fan. Um, let's see what, okay. So the, the, but it's funny. Anytime you see the famous people playing, like the famous people playing the real people on screen and something, you know, it's really great. We talked about one in, in Mr. Holmes, uh, by, uh, Jeffrey Hatcher and -hmm. Bill Condon, um, Nicholas, uh, rogue who played young Sherlock Holmes and Barry Levinson's young Sherlock Holmes in 1985, um, plays Sherlock Holmes in the movie that the actual Sherlock Holmes is watching about one of his a- adventures. That, <laughs> there's a cameo, man. That's a cameo yeah. that's just packed to the rim with meaning and 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 it doesn't even v- vaguely take you other than, oh my God, it's, you know, okay, yeah. I have maybe had that moment, but that whole thing, that con- the connections, uh, Rogue's, you know, he's a fantastic character actor in his own right, even though he's most famous for the one role he did when he was a kid. You know, he's never really had that sort of big part in a thing ever since. Right. His being able to be the the Sherlock Holmes of movies and the movie that our hero is actually watching, it's, it's delightful. It's really, really fun. So that's a good one. Um, to yeah, go along I, with the I, Robert Altman style stuff. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm also thinking uh, I, I, this list that I'm looking at here. Also, uh, I'll go one step further on you, Altman, and the player. Yeah. There's no movie of that era with Bruce Willis and Julia Roberts in it that's as stupid as the example of a stupid movie that you're showing at the end of your movie, which makes the point of your thing, again, completely watered down and stupid, if it has a point at all, which I'm not sure that it does. So, God rest your soul. Back to the drawing mm-hmm. board, brother. That's all I have to say to Altman when I'm done watching just about all of his crap. Um, of course, famously, Stan Lee has cameos in. Um, yeah, there in was the great Marvel. Now yeah. that Stan Lee's dead, do we bring keep bringing him back digitally for his stupid cameos? <laughs> F- yes. What was my answer to that? You asked me that in one of those. Yeah. Ask Ryan yeah. what he thinks about shit segments, and I was like, <laughs> Hell yeah! I mean, the acting's not going to be any worse. He would sure. probably, I mean, I I don't see in any, it's not like bringing Elvis back or Steve McQueen back to sell Bud Light. You're, you're bringing Stan Lee back to help promote and have fun with his own stuff. With a thing that he created. He, yeah. Which, in a way that he always had fun with and never objected to. So there's no reason to believe that he would mind his visage or his image being used in that capacity. And 
as stupid as they were, and every single one of them is stupid and worthless and wrecks the movie for while they're happening, they're all beloved. Everyone loves them. So yeah, why not keep the keep the ball rolling with fake deep fake Stanley? I mean, I I don't see any reason why you wouldn't keep doing that. They have not kept doing that though, have they? Yeah. I don't believe so. No, so they're honoring so. that he's gone now. But I mean, what in a way, it's like of all this shit Hollywood has just crapped on throughout the ages, and they really have done a lot. This is the thing they got all weird and purist, you know what I mean? Protective of the st- yeah. terrible Stan Lee Marvel cameos. Just like, throw him up there, man. It's hard to yeah. imagine wherever he is that he wouldn't be delighted to have his sort of goofiness carried on in that way in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Even those mm-hmm. started as actual cameos, you know, when he's walking out of the school as a security guard with Lou Ferrigno and the Hulk. That's a fantastic cameo. It only says two things. They just got stupid. By Thor, they were off the wall. Let's stop the whole goddamn movie for two minutes of Stan Lee clowning around. Yep. Uh, that's not, I mean, that is not helpful to any movie. So I hate them. But I love them because they really do personify what is all encompassingly terrible about a, a celebrity cameo in a movie in this perfect, pure way that even I can't be sort of impressed with. Even though everything about yeah. them is wrong. It's like, hey, at least everything about them is wrong. That's commitment. You know what I mean? It's not like the <laughs> Altman thing where I'm like, what? Why? For what reason? What are you doing? <laughs> right. I totally understand what's going on in this game right. cameos. Even if I disagree with all of it, I'm like, okay, you know, it's like my villain appeared, did everything I said not to do, and somehow made it work for the whole nation. Yep. Tough to argue with that, in my opinion. A um, couple others here that I, I, I know you, you're not a big rom-com guy, but uh, Dustin Hoffman has a pretty great cameo in The Holiday. Uh, it's really contrived, but they're just talking. Jack Black's character is talking about different theme songs in movies, talking about Chariots of Fire, John Williams, all stuff. And then he gets to The Graduate, and um, and he's talking about you know Paul uh, Simon and Garfunkel, uh, uh, Mrs. Robinson, and and there's Dustin Hoffman just sort of standing down, looking at movies at the other end of the aisle. Is it Annie um, Hall where they're waiting in the line at some movie theater and? Woody Allen's arguing with some guy about some writer or something. And he's like, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're, yeah. you're wrong about and everything. Brings, and then he turns around and, and the brings, guy's standing right there. And he's like, yeah, he's actually yeah. right. You, you're totally messed up on everything that I meant by that. No, I don't even remember who the guy uh, was or, but that's, uh, I could find it, but I that's a rom-com mm-hmm. by any metric. And that I actually used to like, and, and, and that's a pretty good moment. I actually like rom-coms. At the holiday, though, yeah, you got me there. I hate that one. Mm-hmm. What a bunch Keanu Reeves. Oh, <laughs> always be my maybe. I forgot about Keanu Reeves. And, and I mean, that's oh, not. That's a, yeah. All right. Well, first of all, that's again, that's a stretch as a comedy because he's yeah. he, he exists for a long time in that, longer than, yeah. than Cameo really should be. But I'll give you that one because that really is. Here's the ringer. Here's the movie star. He's doing something crazy and fun. It doesn't ruin the movie. It enhances the movie. There's no no one could argue otherwise. I think with a straight face, mm-hmm. even me. That's a fun one. I like that. Um, Bill Murray in Zombieland. That's more Bill Murray just being a yeah um, a character. 
yeah, Jimmy Buffett in Jurassic World, Keith Richards and Pirates of the Caribbean. That's that's uh, not bad. That's not bad since uh, you know it's not great. He was again because it the movie just the movie couldn't just do it. It had to slow everything down mm -hmm. and make a big deal out of it, which ruins it essentially. Right. But yep. the performance is good. The reason he's there is is has an outer and an inner reason. So the movie, at least when they were writing it, they found a reason for that guy to exist. Mm -hmm. Um, it, that's that's fun. The only thing I don't like about it is the you know they take that time to like almost circle around each other, and it's all this time and all this. Build oh up yeah, to and it. I forgot about that. They yeah, need to. They... It needs to just happen, you know, and it doesn't. Yeah, you're, just you're, yeah, they're making it way too cute. Yeah. Um, Kevin Bacon and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I totally That's a good one. About that. It's a good yeah. one. All right. Yeah. So they, there's there's some there's some okay cameos out there. We're not totally anti cameo. No, not totally, um, but mostly entirely anti cameo. <laughs> and one hundred percent anti the holiday, and about seventy two percent anti Robert Altman. Yeah. I well okay. Um. All right. Uh. <laughs> Next up is a movie. That That's I think not, this is one that... Yeah, that we need to have the thing at the beginning where it's like, Joel does not necessarily represent the views of the movie <laughs> show. <at home. laughs> so you can, get an, uh, you can get an out when I just make declarative yeah. statements about things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, if I'm going to be condescended to for two and a half hours with, about celebrity in a movie yeah. full of celebrities... Go F yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. And it, almost every one of his movies, at least from that era, go back into the 60s and 70s and there's a much better variety. And the preachiness, while still really, mm -hmm. really condescending and annoying, is about things that matter. Yeah. Predaporte didn't matter. Player didn't matter. I'm sorry. I just, I, I know that he had no, that career renaissance and I he did sort of find his way back to the light before he retired, but I I hate, I hate. No, I have no issue with what, what you're saying about, about I have no issue with what you're saying about uh, Robert Altman. Yeah, um, but it's not fair to say it about a... like Nashville and yeah. although Mash also... Mash has a lot of the same problems, man. What a preachy, yep. annoying, shitty, misogynist mm -hmm. movie. I I just really like the holiday. It's very lovely. Oh, anyway, okay. um It's the holiday <laughs> that we're gonna throw down on. Yeah, all but right, I, did, right. I, I did I did I depart with you. Well, you know, it's, you hey, made it I can't clear. have a fair conversation with you about the holiday until I rewatch the holiday and that sun is never going to happen so yeah that's worries. what i mean is you've made it clear over the years of, of on the show that you know rom-coms and these sort of saccharine no, because things while you were sleeping i adore almost every second of so i'm not some sure. anti-rom-com curmudgeon i don't like cloying crap like the holiday i just don't like it i don't like it and and that's 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 what I don't like. It's not mm. rom-coms. I love rom-coms, man. I love all the Nora Ephron rom-coms to one degree or another. I like, okay. you know, you can pile up a whole ton of them, especially from that era. I don't like any Kate Hudson rom-coms. I'm sorry, but that's Kate Hudson's fault. That's not your fault, Joel. <laughs> um, so mostly maybe it's like uh, like the Nancy Myers type um yeah, uh, I really yeah, don't like those because I don't get involved in them. I you can smirk yeah. at them, but what else do they ask you to do? Mm. I mean, even um, you know, even in even in I don't know, pick some cheesy ones. I'm trying to think of the cheesy one I like. Well, I do like it's some complicated. Ones. Something's got to give. The intern, the holiday. Um, <laughs> so see. I guess it's just that has what women want. The parent, yeah, uh, father of the bride, father of the bride. 
baby. But then we go back, baby boom, private Benjamin, jumping Jack Flash. Uh, I mean, I I like there. I, I like some things about Baby Boom. I like the opening. I like Private Benjamin, and uh, like I like all basic training movies until they go out into the real world at the end, and then it completely falls apart. Right. But the, but Private Benjamin is not alone in that category. Full Metal Jacket mm -hmm. has the same effing problem. So right. So there you go. It's just a little sidetrack for us. No, I guess yeah, I don't well, like her, but I definitely like her much better back in the back in the day. Sure. Because Baby um, Bump's okay. pretty good. What was the other movie you said? Oh, Jumpin' Jack Flash. That's actually super underrated. Jumpin' Jack Flash, the uh, father of the bride, especially the very first father hey, of the bride. Hey, father of the bride, if it hadn't become a, a franchise, I would say yes. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like it quite first, a bit. Yeah, the very first father of the bride is, is really But really it, fun. it did become a franchise where every movie was mm -hmm. demonstrably worse, and it did that did sort of suck the life out of the thing. Um, but that first father of the okay. bride's pretty great, yeah. actually. Um, you right. named another so, one in there that I don't necessarily hate too, but uh, must be the Parent Trap. You must love the Parent Trap. Well, I love Parent Trap. Did she um, write the original Parent Trap? No, this oh. was the Lindsay Lohan version. Well, Parent um, Trap is awesome, but if you're just adapting somebody's better movie to make, a, but even the Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap is pretty great, actually. Yeah, I see me. Um, she did. Let's see, Marie Antoinette. Protocol. Once Upon a Crime. Jumping Jack Flash. Irreconcilable differences. I love Trouble. Um, the Father of the Bride films, Baby Boom, Home Again, What Women Want, The Intern, The Holiday, something. I like about half of those, okay. so it's not even okay. a Nancy Myers thing. It really is just okay. the holiday. I just hate the thing you love that's, and want and to kill it. Fair. That's fair. No, I'm sorry. Um, I don't really care much about the holiday. It's, I know. A holiday's harmless enough. It's like I don't, I don't hate it. I just don't. There's just nothing for me in it. That's all. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Well, next, it's not up, like those was... other movies like Valentine's day where there's 8,000 cameos in it and sure. it's all crap. It's not like yeah. that at all. It's that a was... movie that has a foundation in <laughs> a story. People yeah, that whether uh... you can or not, you're supposed to give a shit about that's all in the holiday. So I'll, I'll um, look the other way. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next up was one that was, uh, an absolute joke, uh, that we, um, when we were desperate to try to come up with movie uh, with show ideas, uh, best movie that starts with the letter X. Problem with this is that it's we'd have the X Files movies and the X Men movies would all uh -huh. you'd be then you'd be just talking about X Men movies essentially. Because yeah, yeah. what is what is the best movie that starts with the letter X, Joel? What do you think? I tried to pick one last night and I did, and I've already forgotten what it was. Um, I would, well, I mean, there are, um, there are many, there are surprisingly many, you could go with, uh, like triple X, the return of Xander cage. Um, this is me typing. Sorry, I, everyone. My, my keyboard yep. is very close to my microphone. <laughs> um, you could go with like my wife immediately said, well, it's gotta be Xanadu, well, um, to which I said, I will not be choosing Xanadu. Xanadu's, um, I, I, Xanadu's better than the return of Xander cage. Um, when you have, uh, you have, you know, it's, I, I do like, uh, X-Men, the original X-Men. I had a blast, uh, really, really fun movie. Um, you have, and then you have a movie that just came out last year, X. Um, that is, uh, uh, it was, was a very popular, uh, horror movie. Yeah. We talked about it. I liked X, but mm -hmm. it's not going to be on the top of any effing favorite list. Neither is the original yep. X-Men either. Blech. Um, you got Zingu, you got Extro, 
Um, let's see. Uh, extracurricular. <laughs> X cross. Uh, X marks the spot uh, from 1942. You have the man with the X-ray, or no, it is uh, uh, X, X, the, the man, man with the X-ray technically eyes. counts because it's X, the man with the X-ray eyes is X-ray the name eyes. of that movie. Yep. Yeah. Um, X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, if you got to pick an X-Men, X-Men movie, but I really feel like this category requires us to not do that. Yeah. But that's I mean, yeah, the best X-Men out- movie, and I would say X2, X-Men United is really, really good, too. X- yeah, I, I would say X2 is my, would be my choice of actually the X of any of the X-Men movies. X marks the spot from 1944. Excuse me from 2003, um, which is a Hindi comedy film. Uh, let's see. Um, extra credit. X Games the Movie 3D, a documentary. X the Unknown. XXY. The Argentine Spanish. So you can see why we didn't do this. Um, I'm going to go with the soft X. I'm going to say my favorite on that list. My favorite is probably, I really liked the 98 um, X-Men movie that was while the series was still on. And I really liked X-Men. I want to believe the, the reunion movie. I didn't like the reunion TV show very much, but I really liked the reunion movie, which I really thought, Oh, you mean X-Files. You said X-Men. Sorry. Oh, apologize. Uh, X-Files is what I mean. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. It's getting late in the show, and I'm I'm Mm -hmm. confusing you now. All of my show energy was spent on hating on Robert Altman. So, uh, (laughs) X-Files, I mean. I like the X-Files movies a lot better than any of the X-Men movie. I like both of them better than any single X-Men movie, without a doubt. I actually think those are really good. I think that reunion movie, which wasn't liked by anybody, really... I think you need to look at what that really is, what what um, what they're going through, and how the plot very cleverly brings the debate up in a way that's not tired after all these years. And I really think Gillian Anderson's character and her struggle at the Catholic hospital she works at, like I really think that's the stuff of decent film drama. I get mm-hmm. that it's not super exciting, like an X Men movie, but that that religion versus science or the myth versus legend stuff that's going on in that story is was what was at the heart of it even the psychic doesn't know why he's feeling the things that he is and even the things he's wrong about he's right about so it's there's this great lesson in interpreting prophecy and what it really bends over backwards to give you x-files fans is is um a really twisted and weird murder mystery that's particularly gross when you find out what it's about you guys love those standalone episodes, and it really is trying to be that for you. Whereas, when it comes to the UFO, alien abduction, you know, alien invasion mythology, that first movie's as good a chapter in that as exists. It's fantastic. It's got a huge ending that that even the the movie's bigger in scale as you'd expect for a movie to be. You don't. You've never seen anything like it before or since in an X Files film, and I really, really like that too. But Xanadu, man. That's so good. What's not to like about oh, that? I didn't. I didn't like Xanadu. I didn't. I didn't. I it's didn't not enjoy good, Xanadu. but it really is one of those tacky, weird things that that hit on enough things that it's now it's a musical. Now it's a this. Now it's a yeah. that. The songs in it, while weird in context, out of context, almost all work 
like nine of the 11 songs in that soundtrack are all great on their own. That helps. Um, I'm sure. I I disagree. I do not like that. Well, it makes Gene Kelly look like a fool. I never like... I never like when you pull somebody, you know, when it's got one foot in the grave back into Hollywood and then you just basically embarrass them. So that's not cool. Yeah. But uh, the animated sequence in it is adorable. And I mean, you know, it's it's an attempt at a modern music movie musical in the most tacky music era of all time. The 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 disco era. And it didn't do disco any favors. So you can't blame it for keeping disco around another couple of years. It was actually <laughs> one of the final nails in the disco coffin that's true which there is which that. we all agree i mean love it or hate it needed to be put in a coffin and put down at a certain point so yeah there you go so there's um, my favorite right. x movies i tried to take that as seriously as i could yeah i i would i mean i i don't i just i don't think uh yeah between the x files movie and uh, uh x-men or x2 x-men united uh yeah, I think there's even your, that. There's it's got the, these, these weird Brian Singer hymns. It's got a, a animal cruelty in it. It's got it's mm-hmm. got all this weird shit where you're just like, why is that here? Why are you doing that again? What's the matter with you? Those yep. two writers too that made Superman Returns and that one, that guy's out making his own movies now, which are all the same. They're all just like dick moves as movies, and I'm like, why are you a dick? Stop being a dick, and maybe you'll have something dick. here. Mm-hmm. Although X2 in general is pretty good because it. From a comic book standpoint, it really does examine interesting stuff. The it, there's a lot going on in that that's cool, and it and the action is so much better than the original X Men, which has just people running around in a gift shop at the end is supposed to be the big exciting ending. I don't know what the hell that's supposed to be. That's weak sauce. Right. The ending of X Two is big, man. People with mm-hmm. superpowers holding back tidal waves and stuff, and that's what superhero movies are supposed to be. Oh, couldn't agree more. Um, okay, so that is going to do it uh, for us for this week. Um, we did it, but Ryan. We tackled the impossible. And we didn't even have to do a B segment because I just went on and on and on. We did. We we will save uh, Dr. Clock's t- uh, time glorious. What? No. Uh, <laughs> doctor, what Don't is it? Doctor Clock's oh, time glorious mind scrabula. We will save that for uh, for another episode. Nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. Uh, you can reach out to us on the uh, movie show with Joel and Ryan Facebook page and uh, email us at askjoelandryan at gmail.com. Um, look for us on all the other socials. And um, yeah, we um, we will uh, we will see you next week with uh will we see them next week it's it's still remember. up in the air but we might not see yeah you next, next week, week is, we might not see you next week uh we're uh just scheduling stuff uh ryan and i are very popular we're very uh super popular people um just pulled in all sorts of directions not me just... he's speaking only of himself when he says that but that's thank you for including <laughs> me in that little circle of love i appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alan Cummings right, Nightcrawler in X2 is really good too that's fun realization of uh, uh, yeah un- underrated I mean I, I think there were a lot of people that didn't Just, like it for it's some got reason. it's good and, and bad like things mm-hmm. yep. yeah. uh, alright everybody that is going to do it uh, take care of yourselves uh, and, uh, and each other we'll see you later bye bye thank you for listening to the movie show with Joel and Ryan 
Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out.